Welcome to Bible Center Church. It's great having you with us. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor. And happy Thanksgiving. If no one's wished you happy Thanksgiving yet, let me be the first. Uh, we're going to dive into God's Word together in just a moment. Uh, but just to let you know where we're heading today, I'm going to be preaching a message entitled, How to Have a Happy Thanksgiving. How to have a happy Thanksgiving. There's two kinds of people here this morning. You probably fall in one of these two categories. Uh, maybe you fall in the category of those who love Thanksgiving. Uh, you love to eat the turkey. You love all the kids running around the house. Maybe you play football or you have other traditions. Maybe you watch football and then you take a nap afterwards. Whatever you do, you love Thanksgiving. And my goal for you today is to help you have a happier Thanksgiving help you find eternal significance in the thanksgiving you already have. And then there's the other half of you that maybe you're really not looking forward to thanksgiving. Uh, spending an entire day with that relative really annoys you. Or maybe thanksgiving brings back memories from your childhood or from a few years ago. Or maybe for some of you, this is your first thanksgiving without that loved one. Or maybe it's the second or the third thanksgiving and it never gets any easier. My goal for you today is to help point you to eternal contentment, eternal satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And I want to say right up front, God never calls us uh, to live life happy-go-lucky or as if we, we need or have no burdens. Of course there are burdens, and of course there are struggles. No one knows this as any more than Pastor John King, our executive pastor, and his wife Emily. Uh, we've waited until this morning to share it. Many of you already know this, but Pastor John and Emily right now are in Nashville because Emily has a tumor on her pituitary gland. And tomorrow she's going in for surgery. So essentially she's going in to have a tumor removed from her brain. And they're nervous and they're scared. A couple weeks ago, Sarah and I hung out with them and just asked them how they're doing, what's on their mind. And of course they shared their burdens and they shared their fears. They shared their hopes but what I'm going to share with you this morning is what John and Emily want you to know this morning. It's what Jesus wants you to know this morning. And that's how to have a truly, deeply, eternally happy Thanksgiving. Please open your Bible, your Bible app, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The words will also be on the screen. I'll be reading from the NIV. Feel free to stand out of respect for God's word, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. By nature, God is happy. God is infinite in all of his attributes. He is 100% happy. He's 100% joy. He's 100% love. He's 100% righteous anger, 100% justice, but he's also 100% happy. 
The Apostle Paul makes this point in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 1 and in chapter 6. It acts like bookends. In both places, he says that God is happy or that God is blessed. The word blessed means happy. It's an eternal contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. But thankfully, God doesn't hog the happiness. God doesn't keep it to himself, but God shares it with his created beings. And primarily, God shares it with his children by faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment. There's that idea again. Godliness with contentment is great gain. This Thanksgiving, God wants you to be eternally happy. God wants you to find satisfaction. And in the next few minutes, I'm going to share these six different ways, these six different truths that will help you be happy this Thanksgiving. Now, the next few minutes are going to move quickly. So I invite you to take notes if you're a note-taking kind of person or take notes on your phone. Maybe you'll post this list somewhere around the house. If you're like me and you're going to be going to the refrigerator a lot this week, post it on the refrigerator or, or, or post it on the mirror in your bathroom. But I'm praying that maybe one of these six, maybe two of these six, or maybe all six will speak to your heart in a special way today. Number one, remember life begins and ends empty-handed. Number one, remember life begins and ends empty-handed. Notice verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. How do we find happiness this Thanksgiving? Number one, remember life begins and ends empty-handed. Most scholars believe that Paul is quoting Job, Job chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will, will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The idea of naked there means vulnerable. Of course, when our daughters were born, these little babies are, are naked. When we, when we die, they may put clothes on us when they put us in a casket or put us in the ground or, or whenever we are, uh, are, are our bodies are turned into ashes. But this idea of naked means vulnerable. Just as a baby it is born vulnerable, so we die vulnerable. We take nothing with us. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, ever. We don't take anything with us. Someone once asked the executor of a will, how much did the rich man leave? And the executor of the will replied, everything. He left everything. Now that may sound like morbid truth for us to remember for Thanksgiving, but actually it creates happiness when we remember that anything we have is a gift from God. How do we have a happy Thanksgiving? Number two, remember this. We all have more stuff than we need. Number two, we all have more stuff than we need. In verse 8, Paul says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We all have more stuff than we need. Interestingly, the word clothing means covering. And many times in Greek literature, it refers to shelter. So it could be shelter, of course it's clothing, and then there's food and water. But the idea is this. Rich people have the same basic needs as poor people. 
Without food, a rich man would starve to death, counting all of his money. Now, this past week, when I was thinking through how that we have extra stuff, I went to my own closets and thought I'd get a little bit vulnerable with you to let you know how much extra stuff I had. Just this week, I counted that I have 86 shirts. Now, that's not the white shirts that you wear underneath your shirts, and that's not sport coats that I have about 1,000 of, but it's about 86 different shirts. Now, I thought I had a lot of shoes. I counted 12 different pairs of shoes. But some of you have already told me this morning that you've got me beat by a lot with far more than 12 shoes. As I was going to sleep last night, I was counting. I sleep under five blankets every night. I mean, thick blankets, because my wife likes it negative 30 when we go to bed <laughs> at night, right? So I don't say all that to say that I should feel guilty for having that or that you should feel guilty for having that, but I say all that to say when we ponder how good God has been to us, it gives us a happy thanksgiving. The third truth to remember this thanksgiving is simply this. Getting richer isn't all it's cracked up to be. Getting richer isn't all it's cracked up to be. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Number three, getting richer isn't all it's cracked up to be. Now, verse 10 is probably the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible. Instead of people saying the love of money is the root of all evil, what do people often say? Money is the root of all evil. Well, that's actually a misquote. That's not what the Bible says. Money is not the root of all evil. Some of the richest people in the history of the world have been people of faith. David and Solomon were wealthy men. Job was perhaps one of the oldest men recorded in the Bible and perhaps one of the wealthiest. Abraham was a wealthy man. When you read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul shamelessly thanks his benefactors, people who sponsored his ministry, people who sponsored for us to be able to have the New Testament that we read. The Apostle Paul thanked the people that God used to provide for the ministry to go forward. People like Lydia and Philemon. Bible Center Church was founded, of course, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Bible Center was founded through the gifts of one wealthy man in particular, his name was R.M. Maxwell. He owned the People's Store, the People's Department Store. In the late 1930s, he, he bought the store, having owned a few more stores around the Kanawha Valley. In 1943, he was instrumental in the launching of Bible Center Church. And in his mid-50s, he unexpectedly died of cancer. And through his estate, Bible Center Church was able to buy their first building and eventually able to build their first building down on the boulevard. God used this man's gifts for the gospel. There are little kids right now hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ under the leadership of Pastor Steve because that man gave to the ministry. God never says money's the root of all evil, but the love of money brings all sorts of temptations, all sorts of burdens that are unique to those who have money. I'm thinking about John D. Rockefeller's quote. He says, I have made many millions, 
but they've brought me no happiness. Cornelius Vanderbilt says the care of millions is too great a load. Despite his wealth, Henry Ford said this, I was happier doing mechanics work. John D. Rockefeller again says, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. My dad was a mechanic, and I can remember him working for a, a wealthy man here in the Kanawha Valley. And one day when we were kids, we all came to see dad. We came to see dad quite often. We'd go get pizza or have ice cream. And I remember one day dad coming home from work and him telling us the story at dinner about what his boss did. He said that his boss saw my sister and me and my, my mom come across the parking lot and hug my dad just on his lunch break. And she saw us, the boss saw us have a picnic lunch with our dad. And the boss called my dad into the office after we left. My dad thought he was in trouble. You know, am I not allowed to have my family on the property? What's going on? And the boss just wanted to tell my dad this. He said, sir, I would give up everything I have to have what I just saw you have. I'll never forget that. But being richer or getting richer can be a struggle. So this perspective causes us to be content with such things that we have, to be thankful for the many gifts that God's given us, for he has blessed us all more than we deserve. Number four, what else can we remember? Life is not always certain, but God is always good. Life is not always certain, but God is always good. Verse 17. We're going to skip verses 11 through 16. I preached on those last week. It's like a parenthesis in the chapter. So I skipped ahead and preached on that last week. But in verse 17, he comes back to this subject. And he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, when we read verse 17, we're tempted to think this isn't us. Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, tell the people in the church at Ephesus, tell the people in your church, tell the rich people in your church, there's something I want them to know. So when we read that, most of us are like, no, that's not us. Like, we're not rich people. But interestingly, I read a Gallup poll this week that rich simply is a matter of perspective. We always think that people who have more money than us are the rich people, right? The Gallup poll said that those with a household income of $30,000 believe that people who make $75,000 are rich. People with a household income of $50,000 think people who make $100,000 are rich. The most commonly given answer to what qualified you as rich, according to this poll, was $120,000 a year. But people who had a household income of $120,000 a year said, oh no, it's $200,000 a year or more. Think of this statistic. If you earn $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. That means you are more rich than 96% of the people in the world. If you earn $45,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world. It's simply a matter of perspective. And so in this passage, the Apostle Paul calls to us, the Holy Spirit through Paul calls to us, and he says, don't be arrogant. Don't think that you did it on your own. But remember that everything you have is a gift from God so that in Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day, 
and every other day of the year. Instead of being arrogant, we can be grateful. We can be humble. We can be thankful. I remember on one occasion, we were down at the Union Mission Crossroads doing a meal, and I remember uh, Ed Jackson, before he passed, standing there with Ed Jackson, and we're watching people in line. I'll never forget what Ed told me. He just leans over. I don't know why he told me this. He leans over, and he says, Matt, never forget all of us are one disaster away from standing in this line. All of us are one disaster away from standing in this line. Think about it. All it would take, perhaps, is the loss of a job, terminal illness for you or a child, the death of a primary breadwinner in your family, a wreck, a lawsuit, parents in a nursing home, a false accusation, a wildfire, a hurricane, a market collapse, stolen identity, losing your retirement, a bad business deal. Money is not foolproof, and neither are our plans. And so God reminds us that life is uncertain, but he is always certain. As a reminder of God's goodness, I love the way Paul finishes out in verse 17. The last part of this verse, notice what he says. He says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I'm glad Paul put that in there. Some of the false teachers at the church at Ephesus were teaching that you shouldn't have any enjoyment. You shouldn't have any pleasure. Back when we studied chapter 4, if you remember, the first few verses of chapter 4, Paul writes to the church and he says, some of people are telling you that you shouldn't eat good food and that you shouldn't have any fun. And Paul says, no, that's not of the Lord. Our God is a good God. So enjoy what you have. Actually, one of the ways that we can be reminded of the goodness of God over Thanksgiving is to enjoy a big feast. Solomon wrote in the Old Testament, it's good to go to the house of feasting. Because when we go to the house of feasting, we remember that our God is a good God giver. So please don't leave the service today and tell yourself or tell your wife or, or tell your kids, hey, we're just not having turkey this year. We're just not. We're not having food. We're having bread and water. That's what we're going to have this Thanksgiving, right? If you can afford turkey, have turkey. If you can't afford turkey, you let me know. I want you to have turkey this Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, my family and I are going to go on vacation, right? We're going to go on vacation. We're going to be suffering in Walt Disney World for a few days this week, right? So it's important that I mention that. So when I'm preaching on this subject and you see pictures of me at Disney this week, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I told my kids this. I said, you, they were talking about all the rides they want to ride and all that they want to do. I said, you know what I want to do this week? I want to sit in the Florida sun and eat a Dole Whip for hours. That's all I want to do. Now, I know they're not going to let me do that. They're going to make me ride that crazy elevator ride, and they're going to make me do things that are going to make me sick. But I'm excited to enjoy <laughs> some rest. I'm excited to enjoy some sunshine. I want you to be excited to enjoy whatever it is that you enjoy this week. The deer stand, the football game, a nap. And when you do, see it as a gift from God, because life is short. Life is hard, but you serve a God who is always faithful. Number five, the fifth thing to remember this week is the only way to find happiness is to give it away. The only way to find happiness is to give it away. In verse 18, he writes this, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. 
generous and willing to share. If you have stuff, if God has given you stuff, God invites you to be excited about it because that means he's entrusted you to give stuff away. If he didn't trust you to give it away, he wouldn't have given you stuff. God invites you and calls you to give to those in need, to support all the ministries of your church, to start businesses, to be a productive member of your community, to make your community better. I didn't know this until this week. The word love in the Bible is used 733 times in one form or another. The word faith, or the idea of faith, is mentioned 246 times. Hope is mentioned 185 times. But the word generosity, you know how many times it's mentioned in the Bible? I didn't know this. 2,285 times. That's like 10 times more than the others. The idea of generosity is woven throughout the scriptures. And some of the happiest people in this room are people who give their lives away. You know this. You meet people who aren't in it for themselves, but they live for everybody else. They're the happiest people to be around. And God could use them to impact you this Thanksgiving. <laughs> Lastly, number six, what do we need to remember? Finally, Thanksgiving Day lasts forever for those who follow Jesus. Thanksgiving Day lasts forever for those who follow Jesus. Verse 19, Paul writes, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's leave this verse up on the screen for just a moment. This idea of laying up treasure for yourselves. My financial advisor tells me to think for 30 years. And here the Apostle Paul is telling us to think for 30,000 years, 30 million years, to lay up treasure for ourselves long after we're gone. He says in doing so, it'll be a firm foundation. Most scholars believe that he was quoting Jesus from Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, don't build your house. Don't build your life on the sand. In other words, don't live for yourself and your own dreams and your own desires. But make decisions built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And upon that confession, your life will count for eternity. And then he says, for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We heard last week, Paul loves to use that word, take hold of. It literally means get a grip on. He is not saying that you give money to earn your way to heaven. We've already heard that. But what he's saying is, get a grip. Come into reality. Understand that the way that you have an eternal life of significance and reward and blessing is not by getting, but it is by giving. I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. This may be one of my top five favorite verses in all the Bible. Luke 16, 9, he says this. Make, these are the words of Jesus, make friends for yourselves. Okay, we'll, we'll use that translation. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is an amazing verse. In summary and in context, Jesus is teaching this. Sure, money can't save someone's soul, 
But by our generosity and by our good works, there can be people in heaven because you gave. There can be people in heaven because you gave. Imagine stepping into the new heavens and new earth. Imagine stepping into the presence of Jesus and somebody thanking you, not worshiping you, but thanking you for doing some good work, for going out of your way. And because of that good work, they made it to heaven. Paul's calling us to think about the future and not just the here and now. There's plenty of burdens on your hearts. Some of you have emailed me this week. There's job loss. There's sickness. There's one too many funeral. There's one too many child that's away from home. There's plenty of burdens for us not to be happy this Thanksgiving. But today I'm inviting you to an eternal place of happiness. One that acknowledges the burden, but one that remembers this isn't the end. This isn't the final word. Death won't have the final say. And the Apostle Paul says, think about eternity. The day when all things are made new. And in the new heavens and new earth, Thanksgiving Day lasts forever. Here's what I want to invite you to do today. On your seat, when you came in, you probably saw a card. If you didn't see the card, you're sitting on it. Uh, If you would grab that card, I want to invite you. We're going to give you time today during communion. In a moment, we're going to take communion. I want to invite you to write on that card something you're thankful for. Maybe it's just one thing. Maybe it's five things. If you don't have a pen, I think there's some stuffed in the seats near you. Uh, You can borrow a pen. If you would take some time here, we've got a few minutes left in our service, just write a few things you're thankful for. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. At the end of the service, when the offering baskets are passed, will you drop that into the offering basket? Even as a spiritual offering to the Lord, drop it in the offering basket. And here's what we're going to do with it this week. Out on the fireplace, we're going to decorate the fireplace with all these thousands of what I'm thankful for. And it'll be here next Sunday when you arrive. So let me ask you, write out what you're thankful for and let the Lord use it not only in your life, but in somebody else's life. As the communion servers prepare, in a moment I'll ask them to come forward. But as they prepare, I'll invite the musicians to the stage. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to finish our service with one of the best ways to celebrate Thanksgiving And that's through communion. Communion has a lot of different names, but one of the names, we don't use it very much in our tradition, but one of the names for communion is Eucharist. It's from the Greek word that literally means thanksgiving. And we're going to see in a moment in the verses that I read that Jesus intended for communion to be thanksgiving every time we celebrate it. And so Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And the night before he was crucified, Jesus said, take this bread, take this juice, and whenever you eat it as a church family, when you celebrate communion, use it to give thanks in your heart for God's many gifts. I'll invite our servers to come and prepare to serve communion. As they're heading this way, just a couple of instructions. One instruction is, can I ask you to wait 
you're going to have a, a cup within a cup that's passed in front of you. If you would grab that. But if you would just wait, we're all going to partake together. I like to do that as a symbol that we're all one united family. And the second instruction is there's a cup within a cup. So be sure you get both. There's the bread and the juice. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith in Christ. Your kids are with you. I ask parents that you make sure that they're followers of Jesus, that they've put their faith in Christ. And in a moment, we'll partake together in thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for us. Let me pray. Our God, you've been so, so good to us. And Lord, whether it's the 86 shirts, whether it's a nice day, or whether it's just salvation itself, you've been so good to us, far better than we ever deserve. I pray today that when we take communion, it'll be more than just something we do, but it'll be someone we remember. It'll be someone we thank. Help us to be thankful for your many blessings, for your many gifts. And Father, may this Thanksgiving be one that's not just Thanksgiving in name, but it's Thanksgiving in heart. We praise you for being so gracious to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes and records, reminds us of what Jesus said the night before he was crucified. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, that word thanks is Eucharist. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. Paul continues, and he says, In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, the church, Bible Center Church, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Our Father, we thank you for our Lord's death, his resurrection, and his promise to come again. Put eternal significance into our thanksgiving this year. More than ever before, may it be more than turkey, more than fun, even more than family. But God, help us to be thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on Calvary. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.